My name is Ian Gus, your host for this week's special March Madness edition. We are back with a full cast of characters, our typical panel. Uh, everyone back in action, although Mike Mandel will be joining us a little bit later on tonight as he's going to pass on joining the NCAA segment, but we'll be back for the second half when we discuss other sports. Mike Weil, you are back in action after a week off. How's everything going? It's going well. Thank you guys for holding down the fort last week. I'm sorry that I was indisposed. I had a migraine headache like Scottie Pippen in the uh, 90s Bulls era, Last Dance. Uh, so I appreciate all three of you picking up the slack. It sounded great. I listened to the whole show. So I'm very happy to be back this week talking some March Madness and NBA and whatever else we got. So very excited. Well, yeah, glad we kept you entertained. Sorry you couldn't be with us last week, but we're excited to have you back. Adam Rosen, how's everything going with you? Doing well. You know, last week was the one-year anniversary of COVID, but with the start of March Madness, it now kind of feels like we've come full circle. Uh, the fact that we now have the tournament back, and even though there's going to be limited capacity seating, uh, really, really exciting time of the year. Yeah, and it's something we were deprived of last year, one of the big sporting events, arguably the biggest, right, that ended up not happening in 2020 due to the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, yeah I was going to say, when they canceled the tournament last year, that was like the ultimate sign of how serious it was. I mean, we had heard the rumblings, you know, a lot of people, it was spreading quickly, people were getting infected. But I think first there was the announcement that the NBA was, uh, I don't remember what the word, I think they said like pausing the season or postponing mm -hmm. the season. But then when they canceled March Madness, that was like the wow, this, this just got real. Because for them to cancel the tournament, which makes so much money, which has so much interest across the country, that was really a, a telling sign of, of things to come. Yeah, Adam, to your point, I always look forward to the first couple days of March Madness. It's my favorite time of year personally because spring is coming. The NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs usually are around the corner. Baseball opening day is a couple weeks away. And then you have just jam-packed 11 a.m. or I guess 12 p.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. Central time to 10.30 p.m. Central or whatever it is. Wall-to-wall, -wall, four games going on simultaneously. And now that there's four channels broadcasting a game of peace you can see everything so it's awesome and i'm glad to have it back i i really missed it last year yeah and for me as someone who doesn't follow college basketball closely at all during the regular season it, it always brings me back i mean it's really the best postseason tournament in any sport and and it, you know it draws in both with the brackets and and just generally the the drama of these you know so many of these games being close seeing the upsets of the schools or <laughs> you may not have even heard of beating those big name schools although this year it's it's definitely a different different look to some of the top seeds which we're going to talk about in a second um but i think just starting at a, at a, a broad picture um we'll start with you adam going into this year's tournament what do you see as the, the biggest storyline there are two things that stand out to me and mike i'm sorry if i steal one of yours here number one is gonzaga um the clear-cut favorites they for many years were regarded as a cinderella story now they're perennially a number one seed or, or near the top um, haven't quite been able to get to the top of the mountain they lost that great championship game three years ago against UNC but this year without a question they're the heavy favorites they're undefeated going into the tournament I think they're the first team since 1976 to potentially run the table and uh, win the championship back with uh, Indiana and, and Bobby Knight so I think Gonzaga and seeing whether they can finally pull it off this year and then the second story to me which I know we're tired of talking about is the impact of COVID. Um, oh, it looks like we lost that for a second. So hopefully he'll join us back soon. Um, but, but Micah, and we can talk briefly about Gonzaga and obviously your team uh, probably being the primary competitor to them. I was curious if you, um, you know, seeing how big a favorite they are this year, who, who do you think, you know, you don't have to know the numbers, but what would you say in the last few years? Are they the biggest favorite since, since who? And it, it's been a while, right? Yeah, I mean, you had a couple of teams like Duke and Kentucky, like when they, especially I remember when Duke had Zion a couple of years ago, they were considered the heavy favorite to win. And they lost, of course, to, I think it was UCF with Taco Fall. 
Uh, it was a huge upset in the second round, and um, it just was something where you have these heavy favorites, and it's the same thing in this tournament. You have Gonzaga, whose consensus people are picking them to win, and they're great. I mean, they have a projected lottery pick in Jalen Suggs, and then Corey Kispert, who was on the All-America first team, but... It, you never know. I mean, just because you have a heavy favorite going in, a lot of stuff can happen. So, Adam, I think you're back with us now. I'll let you pick up where you left off with Gonzaga. Um, yes, they are the favorite, but do you see them as, like, one of the heaviest favorites in years? Well, you know, guys, we've been doing this podcast for a year. I think that's the first time I've cut out due to technical difficulty. So, how about that? Um as far as Gonzaga, yeah, I, I, I do think that they're the heavy favorites. Um, you know, I remember last year's tournament. Um, part of me was a little dis- selfishly disappointed that the tournament was canceled because I was so confident in my championship pick. I was so confident that Gonzaga was going to win the tournament last year. And they were going to be a number one seed. And but, but I think that they would have been a little bit more under the radar because you had some of those traditional blue bloods in there. This year, everybody knows Gonzaga's the team to beat. They're undefeated going into the tournament, and I think they have a very realistic chance of pulling this off, um, which I don't know if it, I got cut off before, but it would be the first time since, I believe, 1976 when Indiana, coached by Bobby Knight, um, ran the table that year and won the whole thing. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Gonzaga and whether or not they can finally live up to the expectations of being a heavy favorite as opposed to traditionally a little bit more of a Cinderella story. Um, and then the second big storyline to me is the impact of COVID. And we've talked about it a lot, but I think in this case, we've actually seen it impact some of the big teams. You had Kansas and Virginia, uh, mm-hmm. both had to back out of their conference championships. Um, so, you know, they missed out an opportunity there, but also the fact that those teams have to quarantine. And as a result, they don't get to practice. So I think Virginia, their first time practicing maybe tomorrow, which is, fr- we're recording this on Thursday, so Friday, so they essentially get one day of preparation after being off for two weeks to get ready for the NCAA tournament. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact that has for them on the floor. And what makes Gonzaga so tough is just every position they have is loaded. You have, as I mentioned before, Jalen Suggs, who's their point guard. He's going to be a lottery pick in the NBA. And then Corey Kispert's a first-team All-America. Drew Timmy, he's a 6'10 power forward slash center who's just dominant in the paint. And then they have a guy, Andrew Nebhardt, who was in Florida last year, transferred to Gonzaga, and he gives the... He, he helps push the pace for them, and all of them can shoot. They're very deep, so they are the favorite, but I'm going to really be interested to see, you know, one of the surprise teams in that region knock them off, potentially. The, the thing with... Gonzaga's region, though, is, as Adam mentioned, Virginia and Kansas both were impacted by COVID. Kansas is the three in that region. Virginia is the four. So Gonzaga has a very favorable draw to get to at least the Elite Eight. And I don't know if we want to go region by region yet, but um, they certainly have the best path to make the Final Four, in my opinion, of all the one seeds. So why don't we, um, I think we can get to our picks and, and kind of our standouts in a second, but just at a high level, Mike, um, what do you see? I mean, it's not Gonzaga or obviously COVID is going to for sure, you know, right. be a, a theme. We'll see how much it impacts things. But what what do you see as kind of the other big picture storylines this year? So I have to, I, I was controlling myself, restraining myself from being I'm too much of a homer. This long, yeah. But I got to give a shout out to my Illinois fighting Illini. My, my dad's Illinois fighting Illini, I should say. He's a proud alum, bronze tablet, class of 77. He raised me to be an Illini fan. I went to Brandeis with you guys, which was fantastic, but it was a D3 school, so I didn't really have a D1 rooting interest. And then my law school, Fordham, is perennially in the doghouse. So uh, D1, Illinois all the way. Ayo Desumu, best player in the country. He should win. He was USA Today Player of the Year. He's the best closer in college basketball. And I think Illinois is the best chance. If you're going to say Gonzaga's the favorite, I think Illinois is the best chance to upset them. It would be in the national championship. But you have Desumu, who can neutralize um, Suggs. And then you have Kofi Coburn, who's an absolute beast down low. I don't know if you guys watch the Big Ten. He's a monster. Yes, he is. He is is the second coming of Patrick Ewing. He's Jamaican. He's built (laughs) like him in college. And his footwork is incredible. Last year, 
he kind of had stone hands, wasn't really good around the rim. This year, especially the second half of the season, he's been phenomenal. So, But not only do they have Desumu and Coburn, they're deep. They have Adam Miller, who's a great shooter. He's a freshman. Trent Frazier, who's probably the most underrated player in the country. He's been knocking down huge shots. Andre Curbelo, who's a phenomenal freshman point guard. Michigan got crushed by Illinois without Desumu, in large part because of Curbelo, Frazier, and Miller. And then Georgie Bajanishvili, who's Kofi Cobra. There's a great story in the Washington Post. Everyone should read it. It's about Illinois and the bond between Coburn, who's Jamaican, and Bajanishvili, who's from Georgia, the country, not the, the state. Um, and they just have so much fun on the court together. So I'm super excited. Illinois was a team last year that got, they were peaking during this time. And once COVID happened, I was crushed because Illinois hadn't been in the tournament since 2013. And now they're back as a one seed. So this is, this is just, very just going for me. Just going back to your Patrick Ewing comparison. So he's Jamaican. He's built like Patrick Ewing. And he probably wouldn't be recognized by MSG security. Exactly. So no, he, he would not. Um, so I think the Fighting Illini have a fantastic shot. They're, they got a tough draw, though. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it. But I was shocked. Loyola should not be an eight seed. They finished the champion of the Mountain West Conference. They're ranked 10 in the Ken Palm rankings, which are like an aggregate ranking done by Ken Pomeroy, who's a writer. And I was very surprised. I saw them as like a six or seven seed. So they have Loyola in the second round and then potentially Cade Cunningham, who's supposedly the number one NBA draft prospect in this class with Oklahoma State. So they got, it's the opposite of Gonzaga. I think they have a very tough road, but they're tough. And I, I see them getting out of the region, but we can, we can get to like, the region picks later um but illinois if you were to ask me who's a team that challenges gonzaga illinois would be that team yeah and i i know we we've chatted kind of the the different look at the tournament this year with some of those uh perennial uh you know the dukes and the north carolinas being the typical favorites kansas kentucky and and we're seeing kind of a new set of teams so you know, for me as a casual fan, I think it, it's a l- maybe a little bit less interesting just because we don't have some of those big names. But given that we were deprived of the entire tournament last year, you know, in no way am I not going to tune in because it's you know it, it's a little bit of less of a recognizable household name. And I mean, Gonzaga obviously is very well known. They've been a top team for many years at this point. But um, I guess for you guys, and maybe more for Adam, because I know uh, while you have a rooting interest this year, but do you like things better when it's when it's a lot of kind of fresh faces and, and new teams or or do you prefer kind of the the typical powerhouse teams uh, being the favorites? I think you need the powerhouse teams. I mean, look, I'm excited. We've been two years without the tournament, so I'm very excited. But I'm not gonna lie. There's it, it does feel like there's a little bit something missing with Duke and Kentucky out of it. You've got UNC and Michigan State are very high seeds or, or low seeds, I guess whatever you call them. Um, and, and and there's definitely a, a lack of star power in this year compared to previous years. There's no Zion Williamson. There's no Kevin Durant. There's no uh, you know freshman phenom per se. But look, uh, I will say that the three teams, uh, three of the of the number one seeds in Illinois, Gonzaga, and Baylor are really really good teams. Um, they've got a lot of talent, um, multiple players, a lot of depth. Um, so they're really, really strong teams, and I think that people will enjoy getting to see them on national spotlight. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, okay. uh, sorry, and you can go. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I think it's going to come down to the quality of play and the excitement of the games. I mean, that's always what does it for me. Yes, having those big-name teams helps on paper, but if the games are going to be blowouts or whatever the case may be, then then that's really the issue. I think you're right, Adam, not having those star players or, or potential big-name players could hurt, but you never know. Some Someone may emerge and, and may kind of be the, you know, the darling or whatever the case may be, and that's when it's always the most fun, those unpredictable, you know, kind of uh, feel-good stories that emerge. Yeah, I was going to say that, to me, when Duke and Kentucky are in the tournament, same old, you know, I'm sick of seeing them. I like seeing the other schools, not just because I'm an Illinois fan, but, like, for example, when Butler makes the championship or even a team like Villanova who hadn't won for a while they they won a few years ago um it's just exciting to see new teams get a chance to win and but I, I, I know I think that you also the, you also need those teams because you need a rooting interest so like if you have a Duke and you have a Kentucky right, you root against them. you root against them if Gonzaga is playing against your like 
you know, one of these underdog teams, are you really like rooting hard against Gonzaga? Like, I, I mean, a lot of these teams are very likable. Right. To, to that point, I guess, yes, having the blue bloods that are always in it helped. But to Ian's point, I, I love the excitement. I think no matter who's playing, also you have your, I fill out a bracket every year, so it keeps me interested. And it sort of just is the sense of unpredictability that I love watching a number seven beat a number two as much as I love watching someone beat Duke. So the seeding, given year to year, it's just fun to root against the higher seeds. You root for the lower seeds to upset them, unless it's your team. So, yeah, it's different without Duke and Kentucky, but to me it doesn't really change that much. Yeah, and I, I think uh, we will we will see if you know it affects ratings. I know every other sport has been pretty much uh, decimated to some extent or another. Not only sports, you know, a lot of just TV in general ratings are down. So we will keep an eye on that. I think the other difference this year that we haven't talked about yet is the new schedule. Typically we're seeing the tournament start on Thursday. So we see Thursday, Friday, the the first round, or is it not called the first round anymore? I know <laughs> with the first four, well, they they have, kind of change I think up the they changed it back. So they changed, they changed it, first it back four, to the first round, the second round, the second round. And so now everything's, I believe is it, everything's just pushed one day, right? So we're getting it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And that's kind of the, the cadence until we get to final four weekend. Um, I think the elite eight, some of them are actually on Tuesday, I want to say, but maybe not, maybe I'm wrong. And now, is this? I assume this is due to COVID and just kind of spacing things out. Um, but you know, do you guys have a, a preference? I know while there may be some, you know, things with Shabbat and things of that nature this year, um, that could, you know, be a factor. Um, but generally, what do you think of this year's schedule? I mean, is it something they would want to continue with, or or is this just kind of a one-year COVID situation? I'll be interested to see. It's fun having the first days of the tournament on Friday and Saturday. I think that. People will say, especially people that run businesses, they prefer it this way because you lose so much revenue the first two days of the tournament. No one is working, or at least if you're any... Unless you're Domino's a or something. Right. Unless you're remotely... If you are remotely a sportsman, I should say, you're clicking that boss button or whatever they have on the computer screen when you're watching the tournament. I remember the first Less time... Less of a concern this year, yeah. For yeah, sure. so you if you have Friday Saturday games, then it's it's fun because you get to watch it. You could take Friday off and then watch on Saturday. But then the the I guess upshot is is that you have the second round week into Monday, and that's not necessarily as good either. So it's hard to know unless they can get every second round game on Sunday, which I think is impossible. It's you know Thursday Friday seems like it's the best way to go in my opinion. Adam, what do you think? And is it, do you know if it is due to COVID, the new schedule? I think it is. You know, starting it a day later probably helps some of these teams that have been quarantining as well. It is. So maybe, it is it, yeah. Uh, to me, I mean, I think if there was one year where it would have been nice to have it on Thursday, Friday, it would have been this year when we're all working from home. But that being said, you know, Saturday, we can all sit very comfortably in our own homes and watch the tournament from 12 to 12 um, without having to worry about work. And normally we haven't had the opportunity to do that on the weekend. So um, I'm all for it this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this continues and you know what we end up thinking of it if it's if we want to see it continue. So and Ian, you're right about the. That's why they did it because of quarantine. The conference tournaments ended uh, either late last right, week. Right, give the or, teams more. Yeah, there was a very interesting article in the New York Times about just kind of how they're trying to pull it off, all the different layers and levels of you know who has access to what. I know it's similar to some extent um, to what other sports have done, but you know it's just such a massive undertaking. Even though it's all taking place in one city they're not really in a bubble. I mean, there's going to be fans, there's going to be some travel between sites, so it'll it'll definitely have a different feel. I saw some of the gyms uh, when they were playing the games tonight, the first four, they're some pretty small gyms. <laughs> um, like, you know, I was thinking about Jim Nance calling a game in, in a, you know, almost looks like a D3 court, so. Red hour back different. There you go. <laughs> um, all right, so moving on to uh, some of the on-court action. Mike Weil, I know you've talked a lot about some of your favorite uh, Illinois players. Are there any other guys in the tournament that you're most excited to see? Yeah, I, I think Cade Cunningham, because I've heard a lot about him. I haven't gotten to watch him, but he's, again, consensus number one overall pick. And 
it would it would make me extremely nervous. But to see him against Io Desumu in a potential Sweet 16 matchup could be the best matchup of the tournament. That you have the two potentially best guards in the country going at each other. Um, another guy, and it, it's fun for me because I watched them a few years ago. Is, I think you're going to take both of my guys here. But all right, I it. won't. No, 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 take it, take it. I think we're thinking of the same guy. Is it Krotwig? Oh, no. No? no? All right, Cameron Krotwig on Loyola. He's a center. He's third-team All-American, I think, this year. And he's just like a huge guy who looks like he should be uncoordinated, but he's great around the rim. So I hate that the committee put Illinois and Loyola in the same pod, that if both of them win, they're going to have to play in the second round. And I love Sister Jean. I hope she can stay healthy for a long, long time. She's in Indy for the tournament. But Cameron Crutwig is very entertaining to watch. So tomorrow, watch him against Georgia Tech if you can, because he's he's a force to be reckoned with in the low post. Adam, what were you going to say? Well, my first, my first choice was going to be Kate Cunningham. Uh, Arguably consensus number one pick uh, in this year's NBA draft. Haven't seen him play much. I know Oklahoma State had a nice little run in the conference tournament, so I'd like to see how he does when the spotlight is on him. Now, I will say a lot of these freshman one-and-done guys, they put up impressive numbers, but that generally has not translated well in the NCAA tournament. I look at guys like Trey Young, um, Kevin Durant, Mike Beasley, uh, those guys in the past had absolutely dominant freshman seasons, and none of them fared well in the tournament. So we'll see if he's able to. Uh, really, the only the only freshman I could think of is Anthony Davis, uh, who you know ended up winning the whole thing. So that was the first guy. The second guy I was going to go with is Luca Garza, the uh, senior out of Iowa. Um, he's a great player, obviously playing for his college career. So next time they lose his, his career is over and I'm a big fan of teams that have experience that have a lot of seniors on them and Iowa and Luca Garza fit that mold so they're in prime position they're they're in the same uh, region as Gonzaga so yeah. it's a very very tough path to the final four but you know it's always fun to watch these seniors um, you know knowing that it could be their last game and, and seeing them give everything that they got and just to talk about Baylor for a minute Baylor was playing by far top two basketball in the country before they got hit with COVID. Them and Gonzaga were one, two all year. And Baylor has, to Adam's point, a lot of these experienced guys that can carry them. And if they hit their stride, they haven't been themselves. They lost in the Big 12 tournament. But if they hit their strides, they will be dangerous. They have Macy Oteague, who is fantastic from three. He's a guard. And then their leading scorer is Jared Butler, who is also a guard. Their backcourt is the best in the country, or one of the best in the country. I think Gonzaga probably is the best backcourt in the country. But they have a ton. And and my favorite name in the tournament, I always hear it when I'm watching them, Jonathan Chamwa Chachua. (laughs) Best name in the tournament. So... You know, he sounds like a friend of mine whose name is James, James Chana. Chana. Played yeah. Oh, you know James, yeah. I, I know of James just from you and, and Jared Asden. <laughs> Shout out to Jared. And, and by the way, uh, Gonzaga and Baylor were actually supposed to play each other earlier this year when they were 1-2, and then the game got wiped because uh, somebody tested positive. So it would be pretty cool to see them meet up in the in the national championship. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, but I, I, I like all three of those ones, that uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Illinois, to go to the Final Four. I think that they're clearly the class of the, the country this year. And we'll round out our Final Four picks in a couple minutes. Oh, sorry um, about but that. <laughs> that's okay. I think, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way I'm leaning, too. But um, just in terms of uh, some surprise teams, we've talked a lot about some of the top seeds, but... Is there a team, you know, maybe a five seed or, or below or, or, you know, maybe it's one of those five twelve upsets that we, we see almost every year that, that stands out to you? I mean, I'll, I'll just speak, uh, you know, not knowing too much about individual players, but obviously Syracuse made the tournament, which I was mm-hmm. not uh, thinking they would until they had a little bit of a run down the stretch. So, you know, I can see, I, I think they're, you know, a, a slight underdog in the first round. So I, I think they can definitely win one game. And if they win two, that would be a, a massive success. I think the other team that I'm really rooting for, and Adam uh, alluded to them earlier, that's Patrick Ewing's Georgetown uh, squad, the Hoyas, with the the big Big East victory. 
and uh, they're you know always going to root for a Nick. So hopefully Georgetown is able to uh, you know at least be competitive in the first round. And the other local team that I have an eye on is Rutgers. Mm-hmm. I think it's their first time in the tournament in many years, and they're I think the only lower seed that's favored in the first round. I think I saw that. So. Um, you know, Rutgers has a, a decent shot to, uh, to make a little bit of noise. How about course, you, Adam? Who do you, of who course, do you your eyes on? And of course, Rutgers has Ron Harper Jr. Uh, Ron or um, Michael Jordan, yeah, documentary do. star Ron Harper's son. Yes, uh, I've got my I've got um, two potential sleeper teams, uh, two double digit seeds. The first one out of the East, uh, I'm going to go with. I'm sorry, out of the West. Number 12 seed, UC Santa Barbara. So a typical 12-5 matchup. I think people tell you every year there's a 12 over 5. I don't expect this year to be any different. I like them for two reasons. Number one, uh, Creighton was terrible in the Big East tournament. I think it's a winnable game for them. But uh, I think they also have a potentially enticing second-round matchup with either Ohio or Virginia. And I, I mentioned it before, the fact that Virginia will not really have a chance to practice before the NCAA tournament. And I actually think that, that could imp- they could potentially lose their first-round game uh, because of that. I mean, who who's to say, you know, how fresh the team will look? Um, you know, the thing about the tournament, it's it's one and done. So if you're not ready to play from, from the tip, uh, you could be in a lot of trouble. So uh, I, I'm picking UC Santa Barbara to win their uh, 12-5 matchup. And then I think they could certainly beat Ohio, but... If Virginia does squeak past Ohio, you wonder, like, you know, are they going to have fresh legs for the second game? Will the the, the impact of the layoff uh, be there for, for round two? So that would be my first sleeper team. And then the second one, I'm going to go, I don't know that they're necessarily a sleeper team usually, but this year, because of where they're seated, I have to go with Michigan State at the 11th seed. Now, they're playing in a, a play-in game tonight versus UCLA, so they got to win that, but... Um, Michigan State has beaten some really good teams this year. They've beaten two two of the number one seeds in Illinois and Michigan, and then they've also beat number two seed Ohio State. So I know they've been very erratic for a lot of the season, but Michigan State is always dangerous this time of year. Um, I So I would actually pick them to win. If they win tonight, uh, I do have them in my Sweet 16, beating BYU and then Texas. Yeah, those are some some good thoughts. Um, how about you, Wild? Do you, do you have one of those teams, maybe a ten seat or higher? Uh, yeah, you know, I. Past- it's a popular pick this year, the Winthrop Eagles. I saw we were talking a couple weeks ago about the little conference tournament. I watched the end of the Big South conference tournament, and Winthrop just destroyed every single team in their conference in that tournament. And they have a great senior guard. Um, I'm trying to remember his name is Chandler Vaudrin. He's he dominated the Big South tournament. He's the only guy I know on the team, but I like him a lot, and I think that Winthrop, just from the way they perform in conference, they have a good shot. Not only that, Villanova is in trouble. They're missing their best player, their captain, their point guard, Colin Gillespie. He's a senior. Sadly, he tore his MCL on March 3rd, and Villanova was ranked third in the country around that time. Since then, they've fallen off completely. So... Winthrop over Villanova, and then they get a matchup with Purdue, who can be very good lockdown defense. Matt Painter is a very good coach, but they also sometimes don't play so well, so Winthrop may advance to the Sweet 16. I don't know. They're a popular pick. The other pick that I see, it's not so much... So Ohio, I was thinking, I, I have Virginia beating Ohio, but Ohio's very good. They played Illinois in like their second or third game of the season, and only lost by two, so... Ohio, I wouldn't be surprised if they won. And then it's less of a lower seed, but still a, a, a relatively like middle seed to watch out for, I think, is USC. They're the sixth seed, and they'll probably... I think they played the winner... I think they played Drake. So it was the winner of Drake versus Wichita State. Drake won in a thriller today. That was, a, that was an ugly game, though. Let's be real. Yeah. I mean, both so teams you, in the so low I, 50s. I like USC to beat... Drake, and then I like USC to be Kansas. Kansas is another one of the teams that's been impacted by COVID. So they're a six seed that I see they, they could go further than that. So they'll to me at least go to the Sweet 16. I see them beating Kansas, and then um, I have to see who they would play next, but they they could make a deeper run. But I, I think the two seed in that region is tough, but I'll, I'll see who that is. 
All right, a lot of uh, exciting storylines to keep an eye on. I think we're going to uh, move on to our, I guess, second to last topic for NCAA before we move on to our final four picks. And that's of the top four seeds across, you know, all the uh, regions, which one is most likely to disappoint? I know Michigan is kind of the popular pick in terms of the one seeds, but how about for you, Wild? Is there either is it Michigan? Is there another team? Maybe they wouldn't be a surprise considering how really no one's picking them to make the final four. Yeah, so so sadly for Michigan, they're missing Isaiah Livers, who's their senior leader, and without him, it's going to be difficult because they also have a tough road. So Michigan, I don't know if you could call them a disappointment because of their injuries, but I guess because they're a one seed, it would be very disappointing if they didn't make a deep run. The team that I was thinking of is, is Kansas because Kansas is a three seed. I like USC to beat them, and, and USC would play Iowa in the Elite Eight, or in the Sweet 16, sorry. But Kansas, to me... They are having COVID issues, and they could be one of those. T- either Michigan or Kansas is going to be a top seed that falls early. Um, Houston also, potentially, because I'm skeptical given they're in the American Conference. They didn't really play many outstanding teams this year. So Houston's another one. Adam, I don't know if you were going to say them. but uh, I, I actually like Houston a lot. I think that... Uh... If they were not in the bracket with Illinois, I was considering them for the Final Four. So, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I watched them a lot, but I did watch them play in the conference uh, championship game um, against uh, Cincinnati, and they they just blew the doors off them, 91-54. Cincinnati's having a down year, but they're traditionally very uh, defensive-oriented, and, I mean, putting up 91 points on that, they've got uh, a lot of some great length on the team they can shoot the three um so i was really impressed with them i'm not picking them uh to go to the final four but i wouldn't i would say they're a sneaky good team in that midwest region that's fair all right well i think we're about a little over half hour in why don't we end the segment by talking about our final four picks and kind of within that i know we we didn't officially cover the most likely number one team to miss the final four but we might get a sense as we make our pick so um, Mike Wilde, do you want to start us off? And I guess your final four, and who do you have taking it all? Sure, I'd love to. So, unfortunately for Michigan, again, um, they're not going to make the final four unless they get Isaiah Livers back. Um, so Michigan is not going to make the final four. I have Texas coming out of that region. I was, it's, it's so close between Texas and Alabama, but Alabama's 1-3 this year against the top 25. Texas went through a really difficult Big 12. They won the Big 12 tournament. I like Texas. They have a lot of quad one wins. So Texas going to the final four from that region. And then otherwise I have the number ones. Baylor, if Baylor gets it together, they're going to be very tough. So Baylor would play Illinois and Gonzaga would play Texas. And I have Gonzaga and Illinois in my championship. And I'm going to be a homer because I can this year and I can do it legitimately. And I rarely get this opportunity for the first time in 16 years, Illinois may cut down the nets this year for their first national championship ever and Io Desunmu and Trent Frazier and Brad Underwood turn this program around and I hope that they they get the reward they deserve and Kofi and Io get the reward for coming back and not leaving early for the NBA so Illinois national champions hopefully it happens I will go next. My picks aren't too different from while. I also have the same uh, number one seeds going to the final four. And then in the other bracket, I decided to, as well, not take Michigan. And I'm going to go with Alabama. It's, uh, talking about a, a new name, you know, a new team that's a high seed that we don't often see get far. Uh, I'll root for them in that, in that region. And then I have Gonzaga. Chalk, you can, you know, I know you sent around Barack Obama's uh, bracket earlier today. I think you also went chalk. So, uh did he not? This year, the top seeds are the best seeds. You know, they're, yeah, I, I mean, think, I think that the there's separation. Thing, yeah, the biggest thing is in pools this year. Everyone's going to be picking Gonzaga. So how much do you look to deviate just to actually win your pool? But that's maybe a, a separate betting strategy conversation. So I'll take Gonzaga uh, to win over Illinois. How about you, Adam? I generally have two policies when I'm picking my final four. Number one is I don't pick two teams from the same conference, and that's generally because it frequently does not happen. And then I don't pick more than two number one seeds. 
I am going to break one of those rules this year. Uh, I am picking three of the number ones to advance. And, you you know, you would think that without the traditional blue bloods in the tournament that it would open up the field a little bit. But I think that those three teams, which both of you guys have in your Final Fours in Gonzaga, Illinois, and Baylor, are so far above and beyond the other teams that I just... I, Looking at the brackets, I couldn't pick another team to beat them. So uh, I've got... Gonzaga, I've got Baylor, I've got Illinois, and then I agree with you guys about Michigan, uh, so I'm going to take Alabama, uh, so I've got the same Final Four as Ian. Now, I will say, the biggest scare I had for Alabama, you probably won't believe it, is their first-round matchup, a 2-15 against Iona, which, of course, is coached by Rick Pitino. And Pitino, I wanted to pick him so badly, but I just, I can't do it against Alabama, but... um, you know, Iona has has been somewhat competitive in their. They, they've been to the tournament the last few years, and they've been somewhat competitive. So I I think it'll be an entertaining game, and I think that Iona program for sure is on the rise. I know he's got a pretty solid recruiting class coming in next year, so I expect them to be back and potentially a higher seed. Um, so I picked Alabama. You know, Texas is is a good pick as well. Uh, I worry about them if they have to face Michigan State um, in the second round. So that kind of concerned me with them so i have the same final four as ian uh and then my championship i have gonzaga over illinois you know gonzaga has been the best team from start to finish i thought they were going to win for sure last year so they're even better this year so i'm going to take them gonzaga illinois sign me up that would be an awesome championship and i think it would be a win-win uh for all of us if, if we can see that in our championship and so, Adam, in the first round, I assume you're taking Iona plus 17 uh, against Alabama? Yes, I'll, I'll take them plus 17. I, it, <laughs> it, it could get ugly. I, I think Patino, I, I did watch Patino give an interview, and I think he kind of acknowledged that, um, I mean, they've missed a ton of games because of COVID, and I think they they have like six losses and like 20 games. So they're not like an amazing team, but he's a great coach, yeah. and I'm sure they'll be prepared. Listen, Adam, oh, it's not a bad... Like, if you're going to take a 15 over a 2, it's not a bad pick to make because Alabama... Well, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, they're a newcomer, and they also... A lot of times in these games, the low seeds, like the 15 seeds especially, 16, it's rare, but the 15s can hang around for a while. And if they have talent, the newer teams can lock up and they get nervous and... There's no pressure on the 15 seed. So. I, I'm very disappointed in myself that I don't have the courage to, to you know, that, that I'm taking three number ones because it's not going to happen. L- let's be real. One of these well, one of yeah. these Titans is going down. But I just I'm looking at the bracket. And I I can't pick a team that's going to beat them. So I'll be and wrong like gonna, everybody yeah, else. That was going to be my point. I mean, this year I feel like there's so much more agreement. There there's very little diversity in the picks. Um, so that's going to be pretty shocking i would think when you know that they call it march madness for a reason right right but it makes it makes your picks in the earlier rounds that much more important if you've got the same final four as everybody else right 12-5 might be the difference sure or if you know who to deviate with and and pick that you know pick alabama to win it all you never know anyway that was uh our march madness talk for uh this week um we will probably keep it Well, I mean, oh, yeah, we'll no, talk we got about the, it during the tournament next yeah. week. The next yeah. two break weeks, down in the first two this rounds. This was, I would think, the longest we yes. will do all year and have yeah. done in the history of the podcast. So, uh, thank you to all the listeners who maybe aren't as much uh, into March Madness for indulging us. And Mike Mandel, thank you for uh, for rejoining us. Um, hopefully, you didn't find the March Madness discussion. Uh, off-putting so welcome back well Ian I want to stop you because it's very popular maybe we'll attract more listeners if we <laughs> talk about March who knows maybe we're expanding well they have to listen before noon tomorrow so they can get the, the insights right, on the picks download That's true. their bracket Mike Mandel are you filling out a bracket I am not it, it would be as good as playing a slot machine for me as exciting as much man is the worst thing to do yeah, I, I know. I, I feel like I have no control over it. I, I, it's hard for me to get into a sport where I don't have any horse to, to root for. And you know, given that we went to a D three school, March Madness is one of those things. I, I, I just can't follow college ball. But I love how much Fair fun enough. it is. And, well, you know. yeah. Well, why don't we transition then to professional ball, and we can talk NBA and. 
I think the first topic and the biggest news of the past week is Joel Embiid. I know, I think last week we were deciding whether or not to do a segment on who's most likely to win the MVP, and we were all kind of in agreement, so we didn't actually discuss it. But over the past week, Embiid is, is now injured, and, and you can kind of fill us in on, on how serious it is and kind of what this means for the 76ers. Um, so why don't we start there, and then we can have a discussion on, uh, you know, how does this change things uh, going into the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, for, for anybody watching that game, regardless of who you rooted for, it... it, it it was ugly. It looked terrible the way he came crashing down. He couldn't get up for a good 10 minutes. Um, a lot of Philly fans were fear-mongering. They were saying, okay, he's done, or at least that he was out for the season. I wasn't there yet. <laughs> I think a cooler head prevailed for, for myself. But we, we were nonetheless all very relieved when he uh, took an MRI the next day, and it showed no structural damage it ended up simply being a bum bruise. That still keeps him out two to three weeks, but that's a lot better than him being out for the season. Um, nonetheless, a lot of games are played within that two to three week span, uh, given how condensed this year's schedule is. And um, I think the first casualty was, was last night against the Bucks, where um, they had him on the ropes the, almost the entire game, and Bucks came back in the fourth quarter. If Embiid was in there, he would have made a much better adversary for Giannis than either Dwight Howard or Tony Bradley. Um, so there's no doubt it's going to have an impact. The Nets have uh, they they were down one before, down one game before Embiid went out. Now they've caught up. Um, the Sixers are going to have to find a way to weather the storm though, because listen, we knew that Embiid is somewhat injury prone. He's already missed a couple of games, a couple of one-offs um, because of back issues and whatnot. I, I think when you're that big, it's simply hard to to keep yourself conditioned as easily. Um, they're going to have to find a way to weather it because it's not going to it's not going to get any easier for them. Um, they've got a tough road trip coming up out west, and I know Embiid's going to miss part of, if not all, of that. Um, having said that, I don't think that'll necessarily take him out of the MVP conversation. Um, if he does come back within a week or two at this point, um, and he he keeps up the the same performance that he put in before the injury, then I think he could still very well be in the conversation. Is he the undisputed front runner that he was a week ago? Maybe not, but you can't write him off, especially if he leads the Sixers to a, a top seed in the East. And before we move on from the Sixers and, and discuss kind of maybe broader storylines, uh, I did want to call out, Mike, that you, you actually went to the game the other night, and you're the first of us to return to, uh, I guess, a live sporting event since the pandemic. So, what was it like being back? It was so much fun. I mean, I, I missed that place so much. I, I, I'd i gone to eight Sixers games a prior season. I ended up being undefeated in those eight games, and I, I likely would have gone to two or three more before the playoffs um, had the pandemic not happened. So it was great to be back. They welcomed us back as expected. Um, you could tell the players were happy to have us there. Um, and... Yeah, one might might have thought that it would have felt weird being in a mostly empty stadium. There were about 3,100 fans in a, a stadium that holds 20,000. But I, I think I'm I'm so used to being in big places that are mostly empty that it wasn't that much of an adjustment for me. It was almost like, okay, th- th- this is how it is. This is how it's been for the past year. Um, and, and they were very good at keeping the social distancing going. Um, there, there were no fans sit, seated anywhere near each other. Uh, everything was cashless except for perhaps parking. Um, all, all the food transactions were cashless, um, anything else that you wanted. So they did a good job. They, they had a supply of masks if people had one break. Um, so I, I I feel like it's a, it's a good system. And I, I've also heard that the state has increased the capacity from 15 to 25% um, starting April. So if the city matches the state, then they'll be able to let a few more fans in. And not to mention the game was a great game. Um, I know Ian's Knicks thought they had us. They, they were up most of the game, but Sixers made a comeback in the fourth quarter. Um, so I, I, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. Glad it went well. Yeah, the Knicks, I think, only had 14 points in the fourth the other night. So not the bre- best showing, but, you know, they still kept it competitive. Uh, Mike Weil, how about uh, you looking into the second half of the NBA this season? What what stands out? Is it kind of the race for the top in the in the East or, or some other storyline for you? I think both. I'm intrigued by the Utah Jazz. I think that they're a team that kind of came from the middle of the pack, had the best record, 
going into the All-Star break in the West. So I'm interested to see if they can keep up their pace, if they can hold off the Lakers, Clippers, etc. for the top seed. In the East, I'd like to see how the Milwaukee Bucks do because they were a team that was projected near the top of the conference. They haven't played up to their potential. And I'm wondering now with the Embiid injury, if this opens up a path for them to claw back in the race. So the the two teams I'm most interested in are the Jazz and Bucks. And then, Ian, your Knicks intrigue me because Coach Tibbs has them you know, hanging on to the eighth playoff spot right now. So if the Knicks can hang in and make the playoffs this year. I mean, that would be completely unexpected. So it's it's teams that I didn't think would be around or at least in the position they are that I'm most interested to see. Yeah, and the Jazz lost tonight uh, at the Wizards. So oh, that's a, a surprising loss them. there. Yeah, they're t- two and four in their last six. Um, and to your next point, who just uh, squeaked by a, a team that they should probably be beating by more than one, the Orlando Magic at home, um, CC Sabathia actually mentioned on his podcast today. He was at a Knicks game and a Nets game last week, and you know he's always kind of front row and, and checking out teams. He said to see the Knicks play as hard as they do and did at the game he was at a random you know Tuesday Wednesday night game, a regular season game that really stood out to him. It's, you know you don't always see that in the NBA to, to see the teams really giving it their all every single night, and that's that's tips for you. And it's just, uh, at least for now, it's a great culture until, you know, someone pinches me and I wake up for now, I'm going to enjoy <laughs> the, you know, the hard nose play and, uh, keeping the games close for sure. How about you, Adam? What, what are you looking at the second half of the season? I think seeing how the top seeds play out in both conferences. I know last year between the Lakers and bucks, it was kind of a runaway in both conferences. And this year there's a little bit more excitement in the East. You've got three teams with a legitimate chance in Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. And then the West, I think you could make a case that five teams, Utah, Phoenix, the Lakers and Clippers, and then Denver. Um, Now, granted we've seen in the past, uh, number one seed does not mean a lot in the playoffs, particularly with LeBron James led teams. I know with the Cleveland and uh, you know, golden state in the past, like they've, been willing to sacrifice the number one seed to rest guys towards the end so i wouldn't be concerned if the lakers get in as a three seed or even a four seed but it's always fun to see a new team emerge at number one um as mike pointed out i'm curious to see whether utah and phoenix can sustain the uh 700 uh, 700 winning percentage they've had for pretty much the first half of the season so um should be exciting but i think we have a general sense of who those top four teams will be in each conference but still exciting to see who emerges number one and mike vandell a week from today is the trade deadline i know your team uh you're obviously really hoping to get hardened that didn't happen brooklyn is hot on your heels now tied uh with the 76ers the the nets have won their last six straight um what are you hoping to see the the sixers do to try to break away and, and get the number one seed well, my, my dream would be for them to get Andre Drummond. I would love that. Um, we, we need someone who could be in that power forward, the center position, where if Embiid is out um, or if, if he's resting, then somebody else can, can take that spot. Um, Howard and Tony Bradley, they've done an okay job, but okay is not going to cut it when they're competing with teams like the Nets and, and the Bucks, or, or when they're going up against the West. So um, if not Drummond, some – Biggish player that's available, um, where, where the team could feel comfortable sitting Embiid for a significant amount of time, um, or, or if he's injured, um, they could be comfortable starting them and and looking to them because they they've got to counter the Nets who just got. I, I know Blake Griffin's past his prime, but nonetheless, it was clearly a move to bolster their hopes coming into the postseason. Um, and then I know the Bucks made a recent move, um, so Sixers have to counter that in some way, shape, or form. How about LaMarcus Aldridge? I think he's got enough left in the tank. I, I think he'd probably be the poor man's Andre Drummond. If uh, they couldn't get somebody of his caliber, then they might go for LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, Aldridge is more of a pure center than, than a power forward, so um, he, he would clearly be backup to Embiid, and maybe they would they would deal one of the, the other backups. But I, I'd still take that, I think. I have to caution you on Drummond. I mean, the guy puts up great numbers, but the word on the street on him is that he – He's an empty stat kind of guy. Like he'll he'll pull down 15 rebounds, but you know you can't really count on him, uh, you know, to play meaningful minutes. So I, we'll see. I don't know. I, I can't say I've watched uh, Detroit or Cleveland play much, 
uh, you know, in his tenure in the league. But that's kind of been the word on him. That's good enough for me. You know, we, we, we've got our starters, right? He, he can fill that sixth or seventh man role, and, and I'd be fine with that. And Wild, do you have any thoughts on, on what the, you're looking for the Bulls today? Or should they be selling at this point or just kind of? It's it's hard to know. I mean, they they had a 23-point lead against the Spurs last night. I turned the game off at the end of the third quarter, ironically thinking only bad stuff can happen if your team has a 23-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Either you win or you blow the lead. They blew the lead. So they were playing great the last couple games, and then that happened. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I, I they, they could make some trades. You know, try to trade the veterans that they have, like a Thaddeus Young, who's been playing phenomenally this year. Um, but they could also stay put and try to make a playoff run. I don't see them adding anything. There were rumors that they could add Lonzo Ball. But I don't see... I, I think Arturis Karnaschivas wants to see what he has with this team and then in the offseason really start to, to shape the team the way he wants to. So I don't see the Bulls doing much. As Mike said, I, I think that the top teams like the Sixers are going to be the ones that are interesting to watch. Are, are those the teams that make a move for that piece that could put them over the top? And that's where a guy like Thaddeus Young could fit. Or even a guy like Otto Porter, but I don't know who would want him with his contract. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and the Knicks, I mean, they're in an interesting spot too because they're kind of uh, better than I guess anyone thought they'd be. And they have, I think, the most cap space of any team in the sport. So that gives them great flexibility. But I just hope they don't, you know, bring in any sort of long-term contracts that are going to weigh them down, you know, down the road. I can see, I'm sure Tibbs is pushing for, you know, some more veterans a la Derek Rose, who actually has been out the last two weeks. But, um yeah, I, I, for me, I, I don't have a problem with them going for it and really trying to secure a playoff spot potentially out of the kind of play-in round, but um, definitely hope they can keep that flexibility um, in future years. How about you, Adam, from the uh, Clippers standpoint? What do you think they need to kind of get them over the top? I, I can't say that there's a player available that they could acquire, and I would say, oh, I think He's the difference maker. Um, there's a rumor that the Clippers may be going after Russell Westbrook, which I can tell you he is not the answer. I, I love watching him play. I don't think I'd be very excited if they trade for him. Um, you know, he's, again, he's, he plays really hard. He's fun to watch, but for whatever reason, the teams he plays for can never really figure out a way to get it done when the games matter. So uh, I hope they don't trade for Westbrook. But um, other than that, I mean, look, they... Uh, they know what they need to do. I mean, they were heavy favorites last year, at least to to meet the Lakers in the conference finals, and they they you know choked. So they'll have to get past those demons this year, and um, you know make sure that when they're up three one, they they go for the kill. We will keep an eye on that probably uh, next week or the week after. May have some trades to react to and. Uh, we'll have more basketball talk as the season, you know, is is going much longer into the springtime than previous years. So, looking forward to uh, the back half of the year and the playoffs and all that. But uh, we're going to move on now to baseball, which uh, starts in what uh, just under two weeks at this point. So next week, I believe, maybe the following week, we'll discuss. But maybe next week we'll do our baseball preview show. But for now, this week, I think we just have one topic we wanted to chat. And this one kind of, sort of came out of uh, out of the blue, but there's a number of minor league baseball changes that are happening across all levels of the minors, from AAA to, to low A. Um, some of them are pretty interesting, and I think, um, Adam, is there one that stands out to you or one that maybe you think has a chance of actually becoming, you know, making its way into the majors? Did we lose Adam? Yeah, I think we did. Looks like we might have. How about Mike? How about you, Mike? Uh, I don't probably rejoin us shortly. Mike, Mike Mandel, have you had a chance to look at the rules and and what kind of stands out to you? So, haven't gotten a chance to do quite enough of a deep dive yet. Um, I could, so I could give you. Why one. don't we start with Mike? Gonna, Wilde let let Wild do it, take it first, and I'll. Uh... Yeah, so I think that the rule that kind of makes sense to me is the base size rule because you see uh, you can make fun of it because in little league you have the bases that extend the two bases right right but 
it could help a lot of guys that are sliding into, let's say, second base or third base avoid injury. That that how many guys end up breaking fingers, or you have guys that get concussed because they're. I I know old school baseball fans would say, "What the heck are you doing?" But it's a way to keep your star players on the field or your exciting players on the field. That if you can prevent injury, it's not the two base thing. It's 15 inch squares to 18 inch squares. It gives the runner that little bit of room where he can I know we can avoid the tag but he could also potentially avoid injury so I looked at that and I said maybe that's a good one I think that could make it to the major leagues because a lot of teams have injury concerns and players don't like breaking their fingers when they slide in the second or getting concussed so that's something in terms of one that I don't think is going to make it is defensive positioning the the double a rule where they're required to position four players in the infield and that they must have both feet in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt. Um, I don't like it because it changes the way that managers manage. It, it forces them to manage a certain way and it takes the freedom. Baseball can be looked at. I, I think it could be an art that there's so many little tiny strategic moves you can make. I hate limiting the movement of the infielders. I think it's part of what makes baseball great is that you have all these tweaks that you can do to outsmart the other person. So, so that one I didn't like. Yeah. And I think the base one is interesting too, because we've seen stolen bases really dramatically fall the last yeah. few years. And, and I know some of that's analytics and things like that, but if the injury risk is lessened, that, that should really help. So that one's really interesting. Adam, I think you're back with us. I was asking you earlier, what, uh, which of these rules stands out, and, and maybe it's the same one, but what do you think is going to end up making it to the majors, if any of them? As far as which ones will make it, this is very concerning, guys. I, anytime baseball starts experimenting with rules in the minor leagues, I think it means that most, if not all, of these will eventually make their way to the major leagues. And I remember, whatever it was, a few years ago when we first heard about the runner on second base rule, we all thought, oh, that's crazy. It's just the minor leagues. It'll never happen. And sure enough, here it is. And granted, the, the circumstances of COVID are a factor, but who knows? It, it could be here to stay. Um, I, you know, I, I'm okay with most of the rules. The base size doesn't really bother me. I think the one rule I really am against is a pitch timer uh, i'm sorry not a pitch timer uh the, the the pickoff limits how a pitcher can only throw it at first base twice uh this just doesn't make sense to me i don't think that i mean look a pitcher throwing over to first base slows the game down but i don't think that that rule is going to drastically change the time of games i think if you want games to be shorter you, it's it's the pitch timer and keeping guys in the batter's box. Don't let them step out of the box every between every pitch. But limiting the number of pickups you can throw uh, is is can hurt the team in the field because if you have a speedy guy on base and you know you throw over twice, he can essentially take as big a lead as he wants on the third you know, after the, after the second throw over and that puts the team in the field at a real disadvantage only because there happens to be a speedy runner on base. So I, I, I'm very discouraged with, you know, a lot of the direction that baseball is going in. Um, but I think to limit the number of pickoffs, if the main reason for doing so is to make the games go quicker, I think that would be a huge mistake. Yeah. I feel like they didn't really think that one through and maybe that's why it's happening in low a, but I think, Adam, you make an interesting point about oftentimes these things do end up getting adopted, but um, the pitch clock, while kind of, you know, they, uh, how would you say? They, they started including kind of a timer, right, in between innings and, and kind of... And never but enforced. It was never, never enforced, never... And, yeah, I mean, that's what's going to change it. I saw um, on MLB Network the other day, they showed some footage, and, you know, anyone can look this up, but footage of pitchers in the 70s and 80s the way they take the ball and pitch in you know, 10, 15 seconds. And now some of these guys are taking double that, 30 seconds. Um, and there was a graph, too, of the way the amount of dead time in baseball the last, you know, even just the last five years, it's it's increasing dramatically. So something has to be done. But um, to me, it is probably more of a, a stringent pitch clock. But I don't know if, you know, if that's ever going to really be feasible. Um, one other, my, one other way to speed the game up, bullpen carts. 
bring them back. They're fun for the fans. <laughs> and let's be real, with all these pi- with all these pitching changes that you've got, hey, if you can speed it up 30 seconds from the, the, when the guy leaves the bullpen to takes the mound, with all the number of pitching changes, you could probably save shave five minutes off the game. I think they made it optional a couple years ago, and one or two teams may have brought it back, but then it didn't actually go anywhere. I don't know why not, but that's, yeah, that would be an easy way to do it. Mike, I know you've had a chance to take a look at the rules now. What, what stands out to you? So, so the one that stands out to me is the one that actually stood out to me the entire time because it's, it's the only one that I really had to t- got to take a good look at. Um, before I talk about that one, I'll, I'll briefly talk about the, the pitch clock. It looks like they are going to test some version of an enhanced pitch clock um, in one of the single-A regions. It's going to be a 15-second pitch clock. Um, and I think unlike with um, double-A and triple-A, they won't be able to reset the clock uh, by, by stepping off of the mound. So... I think that could be, if that ends up working out, that that could ultimately be be good for speeding things up. But the one that I think I might like that I'm sure umpires hate and traditionalists hate is uh, one another one of the single-A leagues is going to um, ha- have a robot call the balls and the strikes. And, like, the, the home plate umpire, um, he'll, he'll still be the one that vocalizes it, but he's going to have to do whatever the system tells him. And I like it because... You know, nowadays with all the technology, anyone who's watching at home can can actually see the strike zone, um, and, and you can tell whenever an ump makes a mistake. And it, I feel like it's more frequent than than it should be. Um, you know how many players and managers get thrown out of the game for arguing balls and strikes. And um, I get it, the umps run the game. You gotta whatever they call goes, but I feel like in many cases, it's the players and the managers who have it right. It's like they've got the right to argue them, and I think with, uh, granted this is starting at a pretty low level, but it could work. Um, You won't be able to dispute balls and strikes anymore, and because you won't need to, and you won't be able to say, okay, we lost the game because of the officiating, uh, a ball or a strike call was bad, Um, and the players, they can be confident that It'll always be the right call. They won't have to adjust the way they would um, perform in that bat based on a potential missed call. Um, so I like that idea in in, uh, in principle. We'll see how it works in practice, but uh, I, I think that could be a positive for me that I, I, I know a lot of fans won't like. Yeah, and I think that was first tried last year in a few of the independent leagues, and it was, from my, what I recall, was kind of mixed success. There was It was not really 100% accurate. There were some calls that were pretty obviously balls, and, and guys are getting punched out on it. So I think they have to maybe fine-tune the technology, but I feel like that one is definitely going to happen, whether it's you know two years from now, five years, ten years from now. I think you know it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you see it in, in tennis as an example where – you know, a lot is electronic. Even this year at the Australian Open, there weren't line judges. It was all done through their Hawkeye technology. So, you know, it's kind of the way of the world right now. So we will have more baseball talk in uh, future episodes, that's for sure. I think we're going to go right into final thoughts now as we're over an hour in. Uh, Mike Weil, why don't you lead us off this week? Yeah, well, it was a pleasure being back on this week. I missed the show last week both uh in spirit and it's just a great great thing to do for uh an hour every week so very happy to be back my final thought this week is the illinois fighting illini they in 1989 made the final four lost to michigan the flying illini they should have won the national championship that year then 2005 they made it to the national championship lost to north carolina the difference in years, 16. Fast forward 16 years later from 2005, 2021. The logical step in that progression, Final Four, championship game, national champion. Io DeSumo, Kobe Coburn, go get it. Illinois, national champs, 2021. Adam Rosen. I My final thought is also Chicago sports-related. So Mike, you'll get a kick out of this I'm today. Leave now, I, unless unless it's not what I think it is. No, it's good. It's positive. Oh, okay, positive. good. Yeah, good. Not uh, NFL free agents. Thing. And okay, it's nothing good. to do with the uh, Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. Okay. Uh, today today <laughs> is the 26 year anniversary of the greatest press release ever written. Of course. Oh yeah. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Yes. yes with yes. a two word press release saying, "I'm back." Back in 1995. He announced he was unretiring, returning to the Chicago Bulls. You know, in a day of age where you've got LeBron's 
decision. You've got Trevor Bauer recording a video announcing what team he's going to, where all these players put in so much effort to put the spotlight on themselves and, and tell their own stories. You have Michael Jordan back in the day. All it took was two words for him to make such a profound impact, and that's all he needed. Um, so it really just goes to show, A, how much society has changed, but B, more importantly, how much of an icon Jordan was and how legendary that press release was. Mike Randall. Yeah, I feel like it's one of the things that I, I liked most about MJ was that he did not try to eat up a bunch of press coverage. He was just all about the game. Um, so my, my final thought, um, yesterday Carson Wentz officially became an Indianapolis Colt. Uh, he and his family, they they took off from Philadelphia, moved to Indianapolis, um, and his biggest fan, um, and he's a young kid named Giovanni Hamilton who, who suffers from a a genetic disorder that basically makes him a dwarf. Um, he had worn a, he, he put on his Carson Wentz Colts jersey, and while a lot of the reaction was positive, there were a couple of really nasty people out there who gave him flack, somebody even saying that they should break his kneecaps. And I'm here to call out my own fan base who, you know, as passionate and awesome as we often are, could sometimes step over the line. Come on, guys. All right. This guy's just a fan. He's just a kid. He, you know, he suffers from dwarfism. I'm sure he doesn't have the easiest life. Like, come on. Look at his relationship with Carson Wentz. Like, they have a very tight bond. And he wants to wear a Colts jersey. Whatever you feel about Carson, so what? Let him wear the jersey. If you want to give someone flack, give it to Carson Wentz or, or give it to, to Howie Roseman, the GM. Don't give it to the kid. Well said. My final thought is, uh, I guess, a little lighter in tone, and that's uh, the Rangers game last night, which was, even going into the game, oh, was uh, was going to be interesting because their entire coaching staff uh, was basically quarantining. They were exposed to someone with COVID, or uh, they didn't really come out what exactly happened, but they were off the bench, and it was the, uh, the Hartford team's uh, staff, plus their assistant general manager, Chris Drury, which is really interesting to see a GM on the, on the bench. But, uh, you know, you expect it against a, a tough Flyers team. They might have a rough game. And they ended up having, I guess you could say, their best game in, I think, 35 years. Won the game 9 to nothing. Mika Zabinijad had six points in the second period uh, to, to tie some records. So it's just, you know, it's just an example of why we love sports and how these unexpected things can happen in a random, you know, regular season game that will end up being very memorable. So even though the Rangers have not had a, a good year to date, this this game last night was uh, definitely one I won't be forgetting to see a, a score like that in a hockey game. So that is my final thought. I know, Mike, uh, we were chatting about that earlier a little bit. Yeah, but I quickly um, shut yeah, that I think one off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's been 35 years since they've won a game by nine goals. So, um, so yeah, that was just a, a fun game last night. So that was, that's going to do it for this week's show, Sports Cafe. It's been another great episode discussing March Madness and plenty of other sports topics. We look forward to returning again next week for Mike Weil, Mike Mandel, and Adam Rosen. I'm Ian Gus. See you next time.